Thank you, Abby, for that reading. A few months uh, back, I was uh, running some errands, as I do from time to time, and was listening to uh, NPR, and they have a segment called My Unsung Hero. I know you sometimes just scrolling through the radio sometimes and will hear it. And in this segment on uh, the radio, as I was listening along, um, a woman shared how uh, she was a student in one of her classes, high school student. As we know, we have some high school students in here. And in one of their classes, the professor assigned a poetry reading, right? Maybe you were in class like this, you got assigned some public speaking opportunity, um, like a poetry reading or a public speech. And uh, this uh, high school girl had a slight stutter. You know, she was a little bit self-conscious, as high school girls sometimes will be. And so she had her mother write a note to be excused from uh, having to do this public speaking thing. I don't know if any of you guys did that at some point uh, in your high school career, uh, but because she got the note, because she got excused, she had to actually stay late with the professor, with the teacher, and read the poem to the teacher, as will sometimes happen. And so um, I, I, I love the response of what happens. This girl sticks around after school. She reads the poem, and, and the professor said something to this effect. I can't remember exactly uh, what it was, but he was just like, what, why all the fuss? Why are you so self-conscious, man? I love hearing your voice. And that, that's all he said, and she kind of went off, went home, <laughs> To school, but that, that comment just lodged in her heart and in her brain, and she went on to be a professional speaking coach, uh, uh, teaching all over the world, working in the corporate you know, industry and setting. That one comment ended up really impacting the entire course of her life, going into work where she's just you know, traveling in the United States using her voice to do the work. And, and all it was were those simple words from a teacher, just say, man, I love your voice. You have a wonderful voice. Why don't you use it more often? A simple word of honor like that can change the whole course of someone's life. And conversely, uh, a word of criticism or condemnation or a put down can stick with someone uh, for years, causing all kinds of shame and self-consciousness and insecurity. It's a, it's a powerful thing how we use our words. So it's not surprising that one of the one another's in the New Testament would have to do with speech. And so our text for this morning is this beautiful uh, uh, word from Romans 12.10, the second part of that verse, uh, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. What I want to suggest is that if people who aren't Christians can excel at honoring people and change the course of their lives, how much more as Christians should we excel at showing honor? Honor. If there's one skill we all need in life, one skill we all struggle to some extent uh, to use as much as we should, and one skill everyone can benefit from, it's this command. And so my big idea for this morning is that Christians should excel at honoring one another. Christians should excel. We should be so good at honoring each other. And this morning, a simple command, uh, but I want to look at four different elements of this command. I want you to see that it's a command that involves competition. It's a command that involves competition. It's a command rooted in creation. It's a command that is complicated. 
by the fall and a command that is renewed in redemption. And my aim for this morning is that we would be a church that increasingly excels at honoring each other. So let's pray this morning, and we're, we're going to jump right in to what I hope will be a wonderfully illuminating text this morning. Father, we know that it's a critical world out there. We, we all live in it, and we deal with the effects of it, whether that's uh, uh, the, the grind of middle school or high school or college or just the, the working world. Um, we know that that can get us down. Um, God, but we don't have to look too far into our own hearts to see um, some of that critical spirit, that cynicism lodged deep within our own hearts as well. God, so would you help us uh, to be the kind of people that are not just drawn to the just seeing all of the evil around us, all the struggles, all the difficulties, God, but would you give us eyes to see, God, the good things that you're doing in our lives and the lives of the people around us, especially the people that we're walking with in life day by day. God, would you give us eyes of faith to just see what you're doing in the world and call those out in the lives of each other? And ultimately, would you get all of the honor and glory as we uh, point and direct and try to outdo each other in showing honor to each other? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing that we need to notice about this command here in Romans 12, this very short a uh, little command um, is that this command involves competition. And so if you are looking at this text here, uh, you'll see that Paul commands these Roman Christians to outdo one another in showing honor. And so that's the ESV, if you have that in front of you. Um, different translations and different texts here. The Greek verb here in Romans 12.10 means to go before, to outdo, to consider better, to esteem more highly. And so, so the goal here, I, I think the ESV gets a pretty good shot at outdoing each other. It's a word about competition. How do we excel at honoring one another? And so um, if you look at a few of the different translations, I think I have a side-by-side slide here. Um, the ESV says outdo one another and showing honor. The NASB says give preference to one another in showing honor. Again, that's the verb here is give preference to others in showing honor. Or the NLT says take delight in honoring one another. Or uh, as Eugene Peterson's lovely paraphrase, uh, practice playing second fiddle uh, right out of the message. Um, The NIV is interesting because it actually takes, uh, turns the noun honor into a verb and is a little bit confusing. Uh, But this is a very active thing. We're to excel. We're to give preference. We're going to take delight. We're to practice honoring one another, showing honor to one another. This is, as far as I know, the only place where Paul encourages us to compete with each other. Right? In a lot of ways, we're, we're, we're trying to encourage people to get off the rat race, right? Get, get out of that stuff. Don't compete. Don't, don't, don't let there be rivalry or jealousy or envy. Uh, but this is the one place in the New Testament where Paul's like, this is where you can compete with one another. We get to call attention to the things that are honorable in each other. It's like we're, we're supposed to be on a treasure hunt uh, looking for things to call out in other people's life. And when we find them, we're supposed to shoot up fireworks, have a celebration, go all out in recognizing and acknowledging the good we see in each other. And so do we have any competitors in this room, right? (laughs) Anybody who has a competitive drive here? This is your moment, right? This is your opportunity. This is something you can 
outdo each other in showing honor. I, I know we have some fierce competitors in this room because I've played soccer with some of you, and I know we have a very good softball team, uh, but this is a different kind of competition, right? But we have an opportunity to outdo each other in this wonderful skill. And Paul didn't simply command his readers to outdo each other in showing honor. He practiced this regularly in his ministry. We can see examples of it in all of his letters. Let me give just a few examples from this letter to the Romans, right? Paul is going to encourage this church to outdo each other in showing honor, and then he's going to do the very same thing. So right when he's starting out his letter in Romans 1.8, you know, very introduction, right off the bat, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. And so right off the bat, as he's addressing these Roman Christians, he wants to say, hey, you guys are living in the capital of the Roman Empire. You guys are living in a world-class city, and your faith is being talked about all over the world because you're in the capital. Your influence, your example is spreading, and people are talking about it, and Paul wants to honor them for the work that they're doing in that area. Or take Romans 15, 43, or 15, 14. He says, now my brothers, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another, right? That's pretty positive, right? That's, that's Paul saying, man, you guys are capable of doing the work of ministry. You're competent, right? You, you're some good Bible study people. You know, how to, you know how to share the gospel with your neighbors and friends and family. You're, you're doing the work, and Paul is quick to express this confidence in these believers. He wants to honor them. He wants to build them up in the faith, uh, second, he's intentional about honoring specific people. He doesn't just kind of throw generic uh, things out there. He names names. If you look in chapter 16, it is a long list of names of people Paul wants to specifically honor. He takes the time. I mean, how cool would it be if you got a letter from the Apostle Paul and your name was on this list of people? Like, you would have just visibly like brightened, man, as this letter was being read in the congregation and, and Paul starts calling people out in the congregation. I kind of wanted to do that today, just start calling out names here at our church of people that need to be honored. And I'm like, man, there's just too many of them. But, but let me give you a few of Paul's that he says uh, in, first in or Romans 16, 1 through 2. I commend you, our sister Phoebe, a sister, a servant of the church at St. Cry, that you may welcome her in the Lord away, worthy of the saints, help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. This is a woman that was a deacon of the church, someone who served the church well, who was a patron of Paul, supported his needs out of the overflow. This is probably a affluent woman who had lots of resources and she was able to move towards gospel ministry. Paul honors her as a patron of his ministry and the work of the gospel in this city. Uh, Romans 16, 3 through 4, Greek, Prisca, and Aquila, uh, my fellow workers in Christ who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches, the Gentiles give thanks as well, right? People that were willing to risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Paul honors these people. Or Romans 16, 6, greet Mary who has worked hard for you. Wouldn't that be great if like, you're just laboring in the church, behind the scenes, doing the work, and somebody's like, just calls you out. Don't forget about Mary, man. She works so hard for you and the work of ministry. Paul recognized the power of honoring people in his ministry. He practiced what he preached, and he goes out of his way to show honor, not just in Romans, but all of his letters. You'll see 
the ways in which he wants to call forth and honor the specific gifts and talents of people that he's working with, he's ministering with. Paul was not a solo evangelist. He worked with a team of people. And in order to encourage those people, bring out the best in those people, and release them out into gospel ministry. Uh, and this is, I think, the kind of competition right, in which everyone wins. Right? In most competitions, right, there are winners and there are losers. And so that's why some of you are not as competitive. Right? You're like, I just want to get along and have a great time. But this is the kind of competition right, that everyone wins. Right? I don't know anyone who has experienced too much encouragement in their life. Anybody in here? It's like, I'm just, I'm just over... I'm over my quote of encouragement for this week. You know, just stop the encouragement. Yet most of us are like, no, we need more encouragement to do the good works that God's called us to. And I don't know of anything short of the grace and love of God itself that can have such an immediate impact, right? That can just brighten our days, right? When someone sees us, recognizes the work that we're doing, calls it out, it's just incredible, right? The way it changes our whole perspective outlook just has an immediate impact impact in our lives. And now it's important to see that Paul isn't simply an optimist who sees the best in people, wants everyone to share in his unbridled optimism. This honor is rooted in something far deeper. I want you to see this is a command rooted in creation, okay? So, so Paul is going somewhere with this command. He's not just pulling this word out of thin air because he's a very positive, optimistic person. It's a command rooted in creation. Paul is steeped in a Jewish tradition that sees great dignity and value in every human life because every human being is created in the image of God. This is so foundational for how we think about people as Christians, how we look at people, uh, the worth and dignity of every human being in the world. All of this comes and flows directly out of uh, our creation in the image of God. Genesis 1, uh, 26 through 27, we read these uh, wonderful words. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So when Paul is commanding the church to outdo one another and showing honor, he is simply taking, uh, asking his readers to recognize the image of God in each other. And so he's like, that person there, Meredith, that is the image of God, right? That person there, Colton, the image of God. Like, Drew, behold, the image of God. Like, these are the, sorry, you guys didn't get as much love over here, but (laughs) just happened to be in my line of sight at the moment. But but that's what Paul is doing. He's not just, you know, he just, you know, he's not just like a glass half full kind of guy. He's, he's going to the image of God, that theological foundation and going, those people created in the image of God, right? There, there are incredible gifts, talents, and abilities that these people have because God created them. And that is an incredibly powerful thing. It's a profound thing. It's something we should never cease and tire of calling attention to. Uh, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Now, you can be tempted to preach an entire another sermon on that, but let me just give you maybe three areas in which maybe we could think about that would help you thinking about the image of God. First, we are created as God's vice regents to bring order and beauty to the world. We represent, we represent God's loving rule to the best of the world. So, so God is the king, right? And as image bearers, we represent God's kingship. We're supposed to care for the world 
and his stead as representative. We've been given dominion over the earth to care for it, to steward it, to bring forth all of its goodness and potential and abilities, right? It's a big responsibility for human beings, but we're made in God's image. We have the abilities, the talents, the gifts, the skills, the intelligence, right, to care for the world the way God has done. We're supposed to represent him in the way we love and care for the world around us, right? This is my father's world. We sung this morning and we get to care for it and steward it as his vice regents, as his representatives to the world. Uh, second, like God, we get to share in the gifts of personality, language, reason, creativity. We're, we're relational beings made in the image of our triune God. And so to be made in the image of God is to be able to have a relationship with God. We're made for profound relationship with God and each other, Part of being made in that image is that we share in those gifts. We have genuine personality and feelings and reason and all of those beautiful things that make us like God. And then finally, we share in many of his attributes, what theologians often call the communicable attributes, right? We can reflect his love, his holiness, his goodness, his justice, his mercy, his grace, his faithfulness, his patience, his truth, his Wisdom, those are all things in which we as human beings made in the image of God should reflect our creator in those ways. So we already got a pretty good list of things that are worthy of honor as image bearers of God. So we should be on the lookout for evidences of the image of God all around us. And part of this sermon is just to to help you start thinking about the image of God in the people around you. Whenever we see people representing God's goodness to the world, We should call attention to that. We should celebrate. Whenever we see people using their gifts and talents and abilities to glorify God, we should call attention to that, the way they're serving God and and the good of others around them, right? That should be something we are calling attention to. Whenever we see these attributes at work, see people loving, see goodness, see justice, see mercy, see grace, the faithfulness, patience, truth, wisdom, those are all parts of the image of God, when we see people uh, living those out, we should call attention to them. And I want to encourage parents, particularly, probably mostly myself, to take an extra effort in this regard, right? It's so easy to be critical to see all of the negatives, all of the hard things around us. And with our kids, man, as they're growing up and we're watching them take their first steps towards adulthood, to really celebrate, call forth what God is doing in their lives. Like when they do something good, celebrate, you know, shoot off some fireworks, have a party, right? Rather than just, you know, be on every single critical thing when we see them doing something wrong, which at least for me, is so easy to do. Just be like, I see problems here. Not, not, <laughs> not the goodness of God, not the image of God, not the creation of God. Criticism's easy, uh, but it does take some work to see the image of God and call it forth. Among us, And I, so I think we can all see the value, right, of honoring others, being honored, at least in theory. It's, it's kind of nice to be honored. But I'm sure some of you are already thinking about the limits of this practice, right? What about flattery, right? So many people are, you know, happy to, to you know, butter other people up to get something from them, right? And so this practice could easily be parodied. Uh, what about sin, right? What about when people are acting dishonorably? What about people are clearly not honoring God with their lives? Do we just sing kumbaya around a campfire and hold hands? Is that, is that our solution? Do we just turn a blind eye to all the, the negative things we see around us? Uh, clearly, or fall into sin as vastly complicated things. We are image bearers of God, but also sinners by nature 
and choice. And so as we look at the ways the fall has complicated uh, this command, I want to just look briefly at two temptations here. I think there are, you know, two, two ditches we can fall into in this issue of honoring uh, one another. And the one, I think, uh, is flattery, right? Lying about the good and people to manipulate them. So whether we see good or don't see good, we're just going to flatter them so we get what we want, right? It's the one temptation to kind of invent good where there is no good just because we know that will work with people. Uh, and, you know, grease, uh, you know, it's just, you know, grease the social... Uh, Processes on the other side, though, is cynicism, where we just simply struggle to see good in other people, right? And I know that's certainly for me. I'm just kind of like, gosh, you know, just struggling to see the good is just easy to see uh, see the bad in the world. And what I want you to see here uh, quickly, because I think Paul's context actually helps make these even clearer for us. Uh, these challenges would have been even more evident in Paul's. For, to Paul's first century readers in Rome. People in this Greco-Roman world would frequently outdo each other in showing honor to the rich and the powerful because they lived in a patronage system. And a patronage system worked like this. Uh, the patron was the protector, the sponsor, the benefactor. He had all the money, riches, power, influence. And the client was obligated to loyalty, honor, and support of the patron. So if you wanted to get along in Roman culture, you had to kiss up to all the rich and powerful affluent people, and then they would hook you up with all the things that you needed to survive, right? And so, so the powerful, the rich, the successful, they got all the honor, and then everybody else kind of got the shame because they were not able to uh, do what other people were doing. And so in this culture, you know, people, you know, the way you landed job prospects, the way you landed marriage prospects um, was all through flattery or honor, whichever one you needed to do. And sometimes it was literally a matter of life and death because if you got on somebody's bad side, they could just have you killed or executed or uh, sent off to slavery. There were not a lot of rights for you. So it was incumbent upon you that you learned how to honor the people that were at the top of the food chain. Uh, So Paul's readers would have been very familiar with the need to show honor to the right people and would have no reservations about shaming those without that status. So they would have been incredibly surprised at how Paul redirected this command to the church. Remember, most Christians in the first century were from the lower classes. They were slaves, outsiders of different races and ethnicities, women and children, all brought together by Jesus. They didn't have much to offer in the typical Roman view of things, wealth, power, connections, that sort of thing. But God calls them to outdo each other in showing honor because of their inherent worth and dignity, their creation in the image of God. So this outdoing one another and showing would have been subversive to the whole Roman patronage system. Paul is really flipping this system. When he said, say, looking at people that you think don't have any gifts, abilities, talents from a cultural standpoint, and he is saying, absolutely not. These people made in the image of God are people you need to work hard. You need to outdo each other to show honor to those that do not appear to have as much honor in uh, your culture. And while we might not be quite so obvious as it was in the Roman Empire where you knew who had the power and the status and who needed the honor, I think that same temptation for us is, is here today, right? It might be a little more subtle, but we still look around at the people that, you know, are popular. We look around at the people maybe that have all the resources, the money, they're, they're further up in you know, the socioeconomic standpoint. It's easy to honor people, right, that have education, that have accomplishments, that have certain social graces, that have all of the things that our culture values. 
it's easy, right, for us to just kind of flatter them, butter them up, do whatever the word might be, um, and not honor those people, right, uh, in, our, in our culture that don't have the same opportunities, don't have the talents, don't have the same abilities, don't have the same social graces. And because it's more subtle, I think it's, it just flies under the radar. We just live in that world and we don't even think about it. Of course, we're, we're more polite to certain people and you know, we feel at all bad about being rude to other people in our culture today. So I think it's a challenge to us very deeply not to fall into this flattering those that have much to offer and then easily just insulting or shaming or scorning people that don't. Uh, on the other hand, Paul's audience would have been equally familiar with the ability uh, with the inability to see worth, dignity, and value in whole classes of people, right? Slaves made up 30 to 40% of the Roman Empire and had no inherent dignity, value, or worth, right? This is, they did not acknowledge or recognize the image of God in people, and so they would use slaves as tools for their master's purposes to be used and disposed of whenever they were no longer valuable. Children, if they were unwanted, Throw them on the trash heap, let them die of exposure. Women, you know, second-class citizens, right? They did not have the same rights as men in the Roman Empire. People who weren't Roman citizens, yeah, they're good sources of cheap labor. Uh, We could maybe throw them out in the front lines in the battlefield. Uh, But that's how Romans thought about people uh, who didn't have status, they didn't value who weren't Roman citizens, right? It was very easy for them to just dismiss whole classes of people uh, to death and degradation. It's, It's tragic to think about. And uh, while, uh, you know, we might not be quite as crass <laughs> in the sense of like just dismissing whole classes of people today because we have this beautiful Christian inheritance that sees every person made in the image of God with value, dignity, and rights, and all that kind of thing, I think it's still tempting for us, right, to look around and kind of say, oh, man, I just don't see as much value in these people. It's easy for us to have kind of a jaundiced perspective, particularly if you're living in certain dark corners of the internet. It could be pretty ugly out there in the comments section, you know, as you're looking up, man, it's not a lot of value for human dignity and worth out there in practice. Uh, For me growing up, I think it was something maybe even a little less cynical. Our home uh, growing up uh, was so worried about flattery or you know, buttering people up that we, I think, erred in the opposite direction. While there was lots of love, maybe a shorter supply of honor. We didn't make a big deal of milestones or accomplishments or go out of our way to honor another because they wanted to go to our heads. Um, you know, we'll just save it for the funeral, you know. Any, anybody have family situations like that? You know, we'll, we'll tell people we love them at the funeral. We'll, we'll honor them. We'll shower them with compliments. And, you know, you know that way it won't go to their head because they're already dead. And so, you know, that, that, that's a tragic, like, way to live your life, right? And and I think even to this day, like I struggle to receive compliments without some measure of embarrassment. I'm like, oh, that's so awkward that you're saying something nice about me or whatever. And that's the normal, right? We should be used to like actually honoring one another. And I know like as a teenager, man, I was starving for that kind of honor and recognition, respect, and would gravitate to anybody who would want to show it to me. And so I've had to learn this skill, I think, with my own kids as well. And being in middle school right now, it's a rough world out there, man. Middle school is like, I don't even remember middle school, but man, it's like, man, it's like a bunch of piranhas out there, man. I mean, everybody is like trying to figure out their own like worth and they're criticizing, cutting each other down and so much insecurity. It's a, it's a painful season to, to live in, right? Words have this wonderful power to build up, but also 
uh, to tear down. So I've had to develop a habit of praying like, for our kids every night over them, just playing blessing, reminding that they're made in the image of God and they have gifts and talents and abilities. And like, you know, in a hard world to actually be built up in the beautiful realities that were made in the image of God, right? We don't have to live in that world of criticisms and put downs and all of those sorts of things. I, I love at our kids' school uh, at the Potter's House, uh, they actually do a thing called a circle of honor. And so in class, they'll like take breaks every now and then. They'll actually get all the kids together in the class and they'll just do a circle and everyone in the class will go around and honor one of the kids in the class. And I just feel like, man, what a profound, like, uh, just opportunity to just share honor for kids that maybe didn't grow up with that kind of affirmation, just people recognizing their gifts and talents and abilities to be in a classroom setting where we're actually, that is part of the practice, part of what we're learning to do, see the good in others, to call forth the, the ways we're seeing God working through them. And so I think it's, I think it's a powerful, powerful thing. So Paul grounds this practice uh, in the image of God. He's fully aware of the complications sin adds to this practice. But when he comes to this command in his letter to the Romans, he's doing so based on the even stronger grounds of our recreation in the image of Christ. So, so we've looked, seen that this is a command that is grounded in creation. We see it's a command complicated by sin. But also this is a command that is renewed in Redemption. Get this, Paul is not simply calling attention to fragments of God's image that remain after the fall. He is seeing Christ himself formed in the lives of his readers and wants to honor that transformation. God did not, we know in the gospel, God did not leave us in our sin, but he sent Jesus to live the life we could never live, die the death we reserve, and rise again to give us New life. And that's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're, we're new people in Christ. God is remaking us into the image of Christ. And that is glorious. And we get to call attention to that reality in each other. In this same letter of the Romans, early in chapter 9, he said, for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Christian, that is your destiny, to be conformed perfectly to the image of God's son, Jesus Christ. That is where you're headed. That is the journey. And God will settle for nothing less than to see you completely conformed to his image. Paul will be content with nothing less than every Christian perfectly reflecting the glories of Christ. And that means right, we should be on a hunt to be looking and seeing evidence of God's work in the lives of each other, seeing that process unfolding. Now, now it's important to recognize, right, this, this theological principle of the already, not yet. Uh, we, we live in the already, we're new creations in Christ, but we're still being conformed in the image. We're not perfectly there yet, right? God is putting everything in this broken and fallen world back together through Jesus, and he's starting with us, but he's working from the inside out, right? The change is not always immediately obvious, right? The logic of redemption starts on the inside. God changing the inner man, changing our hearts, changing our minds, changing our desires, changing 
what we love in the world. And then that change begins to work its way out into our lives, into our relationships, into our jobs, into the work that we do. And ultimately, that change is going to be reflected in the entire world that we live in. But Paul is calling his readers to be on the lookout for evidences of that change, evidences of that transformation. You know, the classic illustration, right, of the caterpillar slowly becoming a butterfly. I, I know it's a cliche, but, but that's what's happening here, right? We're, we're looking for evidences of this, you know, as Christians, becoming the little caterpillar. We're just kind of crawling around, doing our lives. But slowly, you know, day by day, we're being conformed more and more to the image of Jesus. And, and as we see little evidences of that butterfly emerging from the, uh, from the whatever the, the thing that the chrysalis is, <laughs> you know, we're, we're starting to like see it. And we're going, oh, I see look at those beautiful wings. Look at those beautiful colors. Look at that. You're, you're looking more and more like Jesus, like, wow. And, and that is why I love my job because I get to hear people's stories and get to point to the work of God in their lives. See, God is at work in your life. And Probably my most important job is to call attention to that, to remind people of that, to remind them who they are, made in God's image, the work God's doing in their lives, the, the, the destiny that they are on, the journey that God is taking them to God at work. We're doing a membership class today, and, and I love in our membership class to go, hey, let's, let's, let's remember your story, what God is doing in your life. Let's, let's talk about it. We have an exercise called telling your story with Jesus as the hero. Let's recognize how Jesus is at work in your story, the work that he's doing, the direction that he has you on. And it's one of the favorite things I get to do in the process. And I'm not the only one that has that privilege, right? Paul says, outdo one another and showing honor. That means all of you get to join me in pointing to the ways in which people, Christians in our congregation are looking more and more like Jesus. It's a competition in which we're all invited to join and a competition in which we can all win. I, I love it, right? Uh, people used to say all the time back in the 90s when I was growing up, you know, what would Jesus do? Right? That was kind of the WWJD thing. Um, I would suggest an equally interesting question is, you know, what is Jesus doing in the lives of the people in our church? I don't know what the acronym would be there, but... <laughs> What is Jesus doing in the lives of the people around us? Let's just get a bracelet like that and just remember like, hey, hey, let's see, what is Jesus doing in the lives of these people in our church? That would be so helpful. I think it would be so valuable for us as we're on this search to see and honor others. And not only are we being conformed to Christ, we've been given unique gifts, spiritual gifts by Christ to help his church grow. We see this in Romans 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, um, just a few verses above this command to outdo one another in showing honor is a list of gifts that we should be honoring when we see them. I don't think it's coincidental that Paul's teaching on gifts is then followed by this command to outdo one another in showing honor. So he says back in verse 4 um, of chapter 12, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And so here are the gifts. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with 
cheerfulness. Paul is giving us a list of wonderful gifts that Jesus has given to his church to build it up and and we're to be honoring those people that are using those gifts to serve and bless and help our church grow. So we should be a lookout for those gifts in the lives of our church. A part of our job as a church in equipping the saints for the work of ministry is to help you identify your gifts and recognize whether you know it or not, you have gifts given to you by Jesus to be used to help build up your brothers and sisters here at Redemption City Church. Part of our membership class is identifying those gifts and trying to get people into those positions so that they can be able to meaningfully contribute to the life of the church. It's such an important thing. So in closing, uh, what would it look like to take this command to outdo one another in showing honor seriously here at Redemption City? Where should we start? Well, first, just look around this morning at the people who have been serving today. Uh, Think of the greeters who welcomed you on the way in, the people that made coffee, uh, the people that put together slides, um, uh, all those teachers downstairs wondering, when is Mike going to be done with his sermon so he can (laughs) hand the kids off here, right? Those people that are serving, loving, pouring into your kids uh, downstairs, the musicians that were up here, put all this time and effort into the practice. You have opportunities to just look, or just look right next to you, left and right, and just go, man, what do I have just the people around me? Who can I honor for what God is doing in their lives? Um, so you don't even have to leave this room without finding somebody to honor. There's an opportunity right here this morning. Second, be intentional with the people you are doing life with every day. Roommates, your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, they're the easiest people to take for granted, right? Because you're, you're just doing life with them. And of course, you're like, they can, you know, they know I appreciate them. You know, I told them. You know, I told her I loved her when we got married. You know, does she need to hear it again, ever again? Like, no, you need to repeat these sort of things. The people that you are in life with the most need, you need to be very conscious, very diligent uh, to be honoring them, recognizing the ways God is working in their lives. Uh, Third, take some time in your community or discipleship group, Bible study, to honor those who are pouring into you spiritually. I mean, who are just giving you that spiritual transfusion of, of life and health. I know John and Sarah were both, did like a double duty this yesterday. They had the girls over in the morning and guys over in the evening, just kind of pouring in spiritually into people in our church, right? We, we need to honor people that are doing that sort of work in the life of our church. Fourthly, maybe most practically, Capitalize on the natural occasions you will have to honor one another. Think about birthdays, graduations, weddings, anniversaries, you know, you get a new job, uh, you know, funerals. Think about those times where you're just going to have an opportunity to focus on someone's life. Don't just show up there and, and just be there. Be intentional about honoring people. I love in our family, we, you know, we have birthday toasts. You know, when it's a birthday, we all go around the table and are able to share something that we really love or respect or just want to honor that person in that day. Uh, those are just wonderful built-in opportunities for honoring to happen. And finally, just be on the lookout for people all around you, right? Every human being created in the image of God, look for opportunities where you can affirm that dignity and worth and value in the people around you. Paul says a little bit later in Romans, Romans 13, 7, pay to all what is owed them, taxes whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed, right? So there's a sense in which 
we give first and foremost, right, an honor to one another as being people created in the image of God. We're starting right here because we see Jesus at work in their lives. Uh, but there's a sense more broadly, right, where, where honor is due uh, in a much broader to everyone who is to even the, even the emperor, Peter would say, even the evil Roman Empire is worthy of certain levels of honor. So we can think even more broadly in that regard. Um, when I was starting out, uh, to plant a church about 12 years ago, my pastor at the time got up in front of, I don't know, it was a thousand people or whatever that situation was. And, you know, he had talked to me beforehand, like, Mike, you know, I know you're planting a church. Like, you know, how many people would you like to go with you? Like, you know, I'm going to give my little pitch here, you know, to get, and I was like, you know, I, you know, Rod, I don't really care. Like who, like, I just want people that want to join a church, new church plant. He's like, great. So we get up there on stage that Sunday, he's introducing me and, you know, he says, Mike, and he's going to plant church. And then he just looks at the church. He's like, I want every single one of you to go to Mike's church and join him. And I'm just like looking around, oh my gosh. (laughs) We're going to be a very big church plant if this happens. But just that word of affirmation, you know, from that pastor who was clearly not insecure about losing people to join a new church plant, um, man, I was just like, wow, like this guy really respects me. He really is supporting me. He's behind me. He's telling all of his people to join me. Like that just gave me so much courage, so much like faith to just step out in ministry because I was like, man, just that, that word as I was departing from that church, that word of honor, man, such a powerful thing. And we have so many wonderful opportunities to do that in the lives of the people around us. Let me maybe close with one uh, final quote here, maybe that hopefully will bring home the, the whole point of the message. It's from Grant Osborne, one of the commentators on Romans 12. I thought this was very insightful. He said, this means, this, this command, outdo one another, ensuring ours that we should all strive with all our strength to show honor and respect to each other. In other words, each of us should not be centering on our own personal status in the community, but instead should go out of our way in esteeming others. This is desperately needed in an age of personal achievement when most of us feel unappreciated. To go out of our way to affirm others is one of the most important ministries we can have. And so my prayer is that our church would be a church Man, that is very active in identifying the gifts that we see in each other, calling them out, honoring them, celebrating them, and uh, increasingly, God getting more glory and more honor as more of his image bearers, more people being conformed to his image are living uh, in the life that he's called, the mission that he's called, the work that he's called us to here. So let me pray that God might do that here, uh, even among us this morning. And so, Father, we... Uh, Thank you so much for uh, this call uh, to honor one another. It's a beautiful uh, promise that we, or a beautiful opportunity we've been given. God, to just reflect on the ways uh, created in your image, the ways you are redeeming and restoring our lives, God, that we can can open our eyes to what you're doing. Thank you for the ministry of the local church to call attention to that in our lives. Sometimes we don't even see the change or the growth in our lives. And we need other people to just come around side of us and call attention to the ways we're, we're growing, uh, we're maturing, we're, we're taking steps forward. We need that ministry of the body. So I pray that you'd help us to increase at that, that we would excel at that, um, that this command wouldn't simply be just another uh, great idea to throw out there, but something that we could practice starting this morning, uh, and that there'd be wonderful opportunities all through the week, 
um, and that it would increasingly just become a part of the culture of our church. We're a culture that honors one another um, because of who we are, created in God's image, and who we are, being recreated into the image of Christ. And so would you do that? And we pray that you get all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.